This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. Over the past couple of weeks, we have discussed from Scripture the rapture or Christ coming for His church, followed by seven years of tribulation on earth and the second coming of Christ to earth with His church. You know, the Scripture then speaks of Satan being bound for a thousand years, during which time the saints will reign with Christ on earth. The Millennial Kingdom is our topic today. Here to help us better understand this thousand-year reign is Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University, received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, and earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He has authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, and Bewitched, among others. Dr. Anderson, welcome back to Saving Grace. Good to be here, and welcome back to you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, today we're going to get into a topic that many are going to go, I don't really understand the purpose. We're going to be talking about a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and we know there are several views, three views that we'll be discussing today. But... Just the bigger picture is, why is it even important for us to talk about this thousand-year reign, the millennium? Well, it's gigantically important. Uh, Three things jump off the page for me. One is, it helps us understand the reason why humans exist. You see, the book of Genesis opens with the idea of a kingdom. He says, take dominion over the earth. Uh, The book of Revelation winds up with, as far as flesh and blood human beings, with the kingdom, the Mm -hmm. thousand-year reign. Well, why is that? It's because that is what we call the meta-narrative of the Bible. Kingdom truth helps explain the theme of the Bible. Well, why is that? Because as we said, I think, in another podcast, uh, when Lucifer rebelled, he opened two character qualities of God to question. One is his sovereignty, who has the right to rule, One is his love. Is God worthy of being loved? And then he created mankind a little lower than the angels in order to answer those two questions. Mm. So given less revelation than Lucifer had of God, uh, given less mobility, less power, less intelligence, God still said, I can reveal just less than you had to him, to man, and he'll trust me instead of you. Well, that means we have to have a vote. We have to have choice. Without the power to choose, God would never know if he's loved. We Mm -hmm. went over that, I think, before. Mm -hmm. And God would never know if we think he has the right to rule. And so both those questions are wrapped up in our obedience, as John 12, I mean, John 14, 21 says, and Deuteronomy 8. However, the first Adam never took dominion. That's right. And Noah was offered the same chance, and he didn't take dominion. And so finally God decides, okay, this isn't working this way. So he decides, I will have a second Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15. The last Adam is going to answer those questions by setting up a kingdom on earth, uh, the millennial kingdom. So that is the climax 
of human history. When I say human, I'm talking about physical flesh and blood people yes. on the earth. Mankind. Obviously, the climax for us is in the New Jerusalem, but we're all spiritual beings then, resurrected or raptured with glorified bodies. But uh, to finally answer it in the thousand-year reign, because, see, flesh and blood people will be born during that reign, and they have sin natures. They still have a choice as to whether to uh, believe in Jesus or not. Yes. It's kind of hard to imagine they wouldn't, since he's right there. Yeah, you would think. But our sin nature is so rebellious that mm. a number of them don't, and those are the people rounded up by uh, Satan when he's loose from the pit where he's been for a thousand years. Uh, so, so that's one reason. It answers the question of, helps answer the question is, why do we exist? And behind that, the two questions about God. Yes. Does he have the right to rule? Is he worthy of being loved? Wow. Uh, the second big thing that jumps out at me is that's pretty much what Jesus talked about when he was on earth. You know, Mark 1 starts off with the gospel, but it was the gospel of the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes. And so uh, when he gets to the Sermon on the Mount, he's still saying, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom. Uh, and so he is offering that thousand-year reign to the people right then and there. It could have happened then. It yes. didn't have to wait till this time period or later on when it, when it does occur. That's correct. Okay. And of course, people always say to me, well, if, if, if the Jewish people had accepted him as their king, how would we be saved because there's no crucifixion? Well, we forget. Christ said, the Jews didn't take my life from me. The Romans didn't take my life from me. I laid my life down by myself. So he would have done the same thing. You still need to have a substitutionary atonement mm -hmm. for mankind to be saved. Wow. So it's what Jesus preached. It's what he talked yes. about. All right? yes. uh, he talked about rewards in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You know, Peter... Yes. Uh, and Matthew 19 says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. They have thriving uh, businesses. Fish cost five times the price, or maybe it's three times the price of meat in Israel at that time. Uh, but they left all that to follow him. What are we going to get out of it? He says, well, to you, meaning his disciples, you'll sit on the 12 thrones ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, in the regeneration. And by that, mean he means in his kingdom. In his kingdom. Yeah. All right. So that's the second reason. The third one is maybe, well, they're all important. Uh, but the third one deals with uh, amillennialism, which means there is no kingdom on earth. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, we have in Scripture the judgment seats. We have three times the judgment seat of Christ mentioned. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14. And that's where he says believers are judged for their life after they became Christians is to see how much of their life will count for eternity and how much was lost or wasted, right? There's a whole separate judgment for unbelievers. That's called the great white throne. Right. Now, right. we're told in Revelation 20 that that occurs at the end or after the thousand-year period, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're told that the uh, judgment seat of Christ occurs before the tribulation begins, and that's a separate subject we could yes. go into. I could support that, I think. All right. Now, if you are a preterist, meaning you think much of Revelation was fulfilled in the past, which many very popular teachers teach, then you've pulled out the tribulation and you've pulled out the thousand-year reign. Now, uh, I don't know if a listener can picture this, but remember, these judgment seats are separated by a thousand and seven years. If we pull the thousand and seven years out, what happens? The judgment seats collapse. 
Into one. They occur at the same time. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it says in Scripture, you get to the judgment seat of Christ only if you're in Christ. That means a believer. How did you get there? Not by works. You got there by faith. All right, take the great white throne. How did you get there if someone gets there? It's not by works. It's because they didn't believe. If you believe, you go to the great uh, judgment seat of Christ. If you don't believe, you go to the great white throne. But at both judgment seats, you're judged for your works. At the judgment seat of Christ, you're judged for your works to see how much of your life will count forever. At the great white throne, you're judged for your works to uh, to determine some degree of separation from, from God forever. Okay? But if you collapse those two, since at both of these judgment seats you're judged for your works, now this is how the gospel gets muddled. No doubt about it. And people think you have to have faith plus works in order to be accepted by God. Yes. So that's that's hugely important. Well, it is. (laughs) And I think it does. It it points to the importance of today's podcast. And actually, we're taking two weeks to talk about this topic because it is so important. Uh, so, so theologians call this time period the millennium. Uh, describe what that, what that means. Oh, it just means a thousand. Just a thousand. And so where do we find in Scripture uh, that it will be a thousand years in duration? Well, actually, only one chapter in the Bible mentions is that's Revelation 20. Okay. But it mentions it six times. Mm-hmm. Now, the preterists, some of them, and some other interpreters say the thousand years is, is just a symbolic. Like Peter would say, like a day. Is a thousand years, thousand uh. years as a day. The problem is never in Scripture do we have other examples mm-hmm. of a time period, a numerical time period, repeated over and over and over and over where it's symbolic. Okay. So. You know, as it says, six times in uh, Revelation 20, talks about a thousand years. And if that is symbolic, there would be the only example in all the Bible where a repeated numerical time period is repeated over and over and over and over. It wouldn't make sense that it would be repeated that way if it was symbolic, right? I mean, over and over again. Oh, I don't know. I suppose it could make sense. It's just the Bible never does it. Just doesn't do it. Okay. All right. Well, we referenced earlier that there are three major interpretations, and you've uh, referenced the the all-mill thinking. But let's kind of go through those because uh, there are obviously arguments against a literal thousand-year reign on earth, Mm -hmm. and part of that has to do with the interpretation of Scripture in regard to this time period. So, there are three, the uh, premillennial view, the amillennial view, and the postmillennial view. Uh, could, could you just, let's start with the prelim, uh, premillennial view. Uh, just kind of give us a brief synopsis of what, what these represent. Well, uh, all the church fathers from, we'll just say 100 A.D. up to 400 A.D., okay? They were what were called chiliasts. And that's just another way of saying they believed in the millennium, and they were all premillennial because they believed in the Antichrist, they believed in a time of trouble that would be uh, ultimately decided by the Battle of Armageddon, as described in Revelation 19, where Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom. Now, the first Orthodox church father, and I say that carefully, uh, first Orthodox church father went against what's called the regula fide. The regula fide was the rule of faith held by the church fathers before Augustine. And in 412, Augustine changed his uh, doctrine in many, many ways, but one of them was regarding the millennium. 
And he was reacting against the Donatists, who were the majority of Christians in northern Africa. And the Donatists had what's called the cult of the dead. Uh, the cult of the dead was uh, when they celebrated one of their martyrs because they wouldn't give up their holy book mm -hmm. to Diocletian, who persecuted them from 300 to 310 A.D. They would put them in plaster Paris for two weeks and study it so as to better recognize their features when uh, Christ returned. But at the same time, during those two weeks, they had what uh, uh, Augustine thought were bacchanal feasts, in other words, just feeding the flesh. But what they were doing was celebrating what they thought it would be like when Christ came back, a time of plenty, a time of no one being hungry, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that repulsed Augustine because he was an ascetic, meaning denial of the flesh. And he thought he, you could get a beatific vision of God through denying your flesh mm -hmm. and deep meditation. So he decided to get rid of the millennium. Uh, he couldn't stand Daniel 9 and the Donatists counting the years down and uh, trying to see how close they were to Christ's return. So he used uh, seven rules of Tychonius to do that, who was a Donatist layman who had some hermeneutics that said you can stretch numbers. So getting back to your question, everyone was pre-mill. All the Orthodox people were pre-millennial, meaning Christ shall return to earth physically set up a kingdom in Jerusalem, as it says in Psalm 110. And from there, he would reign for a thousand years. That's pre-millennial. Augustine, as I'm saying, telling you, uh, set up amillennialism. That became popularized, and then in the Catholic Church, as Augustine became popular, it took him uh, 800 years to become really popular. Hmm. For the first four or 500 years, his doctrines were rejected by the Roman Catholics. Interesting. A guy named Gottschalk was tried uh, for treason in about 800 uh, A.D. for teaching the double predestination that uh, Augustine taught, which says God chose some people to go to heaven, he chose some people to go to hell, and did that before he created them. Well, uh, he was uh, exonerated, and then by the 1200s, Augustine was considered the summa pater, the greatest church father, and then that came into Europe. So when you get... Uh, Luther and Calvin coming out of the Roman Catholic Church, they are both amillennial. Uh, so that has carried through right into most of the denominations that have come out of uh, Calvin and Luther. So that's amillennialism. Now, postmillennialism— Well, can we go back to yeah, amillennialism? Sure, sure. Okay. And so do, do, would you say that there's also a lot of spiritualization in their thinking about that thousand-year period that— that, uh, well, no doubt their progenitor, Augustine, uh, uh -huh. did believe in the thousand-year reign of Christ. However, he thought it was in heaven, mm -hmm. and he thought the reign began at the ascension of Christ, and he thought a thousand, approximately a thousand A.D., Christ would return. Okay. And of course, when that didn't happen, and Augustine died in 430 A.D., when Christ didn't return to earth, not to set up a kingdom this time, but to set up the eternal state and do the final judgment. Right. Uh, when that didn't, then they decided, well, truly this thousand thing must be uh, elastic. And so they've stretched it out on and on and on until the eternal state comes. Okay. So some of them would say the kingdom of Christ is, is now, mm -hmm. and it's being stretched in heaven or in the third heaven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that clarification. Yes. And then the post-millennial view. Well, that uh, kind of cropped up along with humanism and the Renaissance and uh, worshiping the power of man's mind. But along with that, we get Darwinism. Mm -hmm. 
and the idea of things getting better and better. And so many people in the uh, 19th century decided, okay, uh, we can usher in Christ's return for the final judgment and the eternal state if we can improve society to the point that it's like a, king, a kingdom of righteousness and mm. things like that. So that we ourselves, we humans, would establish a kingdom on earth that was uh, very much like what is described in the Bible. Then Christ would return post that kingdom, post millennial. Uh, however, uh, World War One kind of mm. put the kibosh on that, and World War Two sealed it, because mankind was using his ingenuity just to find faster ways to kill one another. Yeah, you know, Nazis and even uh, the hydrogen and atomic bombs. Exactly. That ushered in. Postmodernism. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> now, so that that kind of ended postmillennialism. You don't hear much about that no, anymore. No, really don't. Um, so it's it's mainly uh, pre-tribulational, mm-hmm. uh, or it's uh, amillennial. Okay. Pre-mill, okay. pre-trib. Yes. Pre-mill, pre-trib. How do we best determine which view represents biblical? What what the scripture intended? Well, it's it's a matter of hermeneutics. Okay. In other words, how do you interpret the Bible? very similar to what's going on with the Constitution today. Hmm. You have uh, what they're calling literalists mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. originalists, and uh, they are those who go back to the Constitution and say, what was the author's intent when he wrote these words? Yes. And if you can figure out the author's intent uh, or meaning, then we can apply, apply, apply that meaning to different circumstances as the years go by. So they would say there's one meaning and many applications to okay. it. All right. Uh, but others say, no, the Constitution is a living document. And as a, a living document, uh, we have to see how these words uh, would fit into modern culture and adapt yeah. them accordingly. That's not exactly the way it is with Scripture, but a consistent hermeneutic that is used by the pre-mill, pre-trib people is to take the Bible just as it is normally. We don't really like the word literal. Okay. Uh, when it says the angels came from the four corners of the earth. We don't think that means that the earth is uh, square, square and flat, <laughs> uh, but that they came from everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I've got a book in my bookshelf by a man named Bullinger with all the figures of speech used in the Bible, and there are hundreds of them. Uh, so uh, normal language in any Western language I've studied, has figures of speech. Yes, I yes. have a feeling the Asians do too. Of I just course. don't know those languages. Uh, so normal language incorporates figures of speech, but it's still taken normally. So when he says a thousand six times in a row, the normal interpretation would be that means a thousand. It means a thousand. Right. Uh-huh. Now, if you uh, take the spiritualizing approach, then uh, you would take scripture, let's just say literally until you get to uh, one of these things that uh, doesn't quite fit uh, your understanding, and then you can spiritualize it instead of taking it normally. So when you get to a thousand, uh, the normal interpretation would be a thousand. Right. But if that doesn't fit my understanding of things, then I I spiritualize it. So that's what Augustine did when he went from the literal thousand-year reign to a spiritual reign with Christ beginning his thousand-year reign in heaven. It's interesting to me that he still kept the kept the uh, thousand and thought it was a little thousand years. Yes, but he just but put it, he put it up in heaven. Put it in heaven. Hermeneticians that do that do that with a lot of different passages. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Now, you hear people say, you know, I'm premillennial or I'm all millennial or whatever. Uh, does it really matter? I mean, uh, friends like to say, oh, I'm just a pan-millennial, meaning that it'll all pan out in the end. Why does it really matter which view we choose? Well, I tried to answer some of that in the beginning in that uh, you can get your gospel all messed up uh, if you don't understand that it's pre-millennial because the take the millennium out and the judgment seats collapse. There's not a single judgment seat where it says you're judged for your faith mm. or your lack of faith. But we know that's how you get to one or the other. They all say you're judged for your works. So either you have a works salvation, which we reject because of passages like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, or you have to say, no, faith's important, but you also have to be good. I, I uh, went door-to-door in my neighborhood. We have about 500 homes and would ask that question if you were to die today and woke up in front of the pearly gates and St. Peter said, why should I let you in? What would you say? About 80% of them said, well, I believe in Jesus and I think I've lived a pretty good life. And always had that. (laughs) Did you hear that combination? Uh Yes. Well, where did they get that? Mm -hmm. I mean, those are people sitting in the pew. Where did they get that? It had to somehow seep out of the pulpit. That's an impression that they've been left somehow that muddles their faith and works. It's because of that judgment seat and the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ being put together simultaneously at the same time. Yes, yes, wow. So that, that makes it really important. It, it, well, it truly <laughs> does. And, and too, just uh, for our listeners, again, clarifying that, that, yes, we will be judged for our works as believers, but it's to determine uh-huh. our reward or loss of rewards. Yeah, and that's that's one thing I haven't really mentioned is that uh, I briefly said it in regard to the disciples, but uh, Christ holds out a, a special place in the thousand-year reign for those who have been faithful to him on earth. He even talks about martyrs' rewards, but he talks about uh, those willing to suffer for him, our uh, co-heirs. Yes. In Romans eight seventeen, he talks about uh, those who are... Uh, just willing to persevere as having uh, special rewards during that time. Even in the parables, he talks about it, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, Mm -hmm. enter the joy of the Lord. So one of the rewards of of greater joy, I think uh, Revelation 2 talks about a greater intimacy because Mm -hmm. he says that to the overcomer, I'm going to give him to eat of the hidden manna. Well, that was verboten to open the ark and go yes. after the manna, but you get to eat of the hidden manna that's in the ark, and I'll give you a white stone with a name on it no one knows but you and me. So that's a term of endearment to the faithful believer, to the overcomer given to him by Jesus that only you and he know. Well, that's wow. That's incredible. That's wow. You yes, know? yes. And so uh, you see, a, uh, even in those uh, overcomer passages, you see a growing closeness to Christ as you go from church to church. So a greater intimacy is another reward. There are a lot of things in the, about the millennium that are very important. Absolutely. And, as, and next week, we're going to have that opportunity to really dig into what will, what will take place, what will transpire in the millennium for believers, uh, for the nation of Israel, for the Gentiles who are born during that time period. Uh, we'll look forward to, to, to digging into that even a little deeper. Well, D- Dr. Anderson, it just seems that as we, as we talk about 
the end times. There's a lot of folks that don't even want to go there because they're they think it's a lot of conspiracy talk. Uh, uh, they they believe that uh, it really is uh, something that doesn't matter to them because even if it happens down the road, uh, they're not going to be around depending on, on what they believe. Uh, but in our closing moments, there are those who are listening today who are not sure if they would be one that would be on that side of standing before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, or if they would be at the white throne judgment and and want to have that assurance today. So if we could just close today's program as we're talking about the end of time uh, to make sure that the, those listening today do know that where they would spend eternity. Well, it's really simple. The gospel is really simple. It's not complicated. That's why John 3.16 is probably the most beloved and well-known verse in the whole Bible just says believe. Or the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, 31. What must I do to be saved? Paul just said believe. Uh, That's all that's required. Well, what do you believe? You have to believe that Jesus is the one who died for your sins in order to remove them as a barrier between you and God. But if you believe that, and believing is, you know, really putting your trust in that. That's your only hope for heaven. Nothing else. You can never uh, be good enough. You can never be perfect, as it says you must be to get in heaven. And the only way we get perfect is when we believe in Christ, his righteousness is credited to do our account in heaven. Mm. God accepts us, as it says in Ephesians 1, in the beloved. So just believe. Trust in him as your Savior, as you usually hear it put. But if you do that, then it says in 1 John 5, uh, you can know. You don't have to hope, guess, mm. maybe, He's written these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have everlasting life. So you you don't have to wait until you die. <laughs> well, you can know right now. That's present tense. That's know. right. That's right. And it makes the discussion about the millennium uh, even more exciting for those of us who do, who believe. So I look forward to having you back next week to talk about more about the millennial kingdom. Well, I have to say, though, the rapture might take place before that. So, but I... I So I don't know if I hope I'm coming back next week or not. (laughs) I'm with you. I agree with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson. We hope today's topic has stirred your interest to get into God's Word and learn more. We encourage you to check out the many courses offered through Grace School of Theology to further your knowledge and your understanding of God's truth and grace. Please share our podcast with others who might benefit. And let us know how you personally are benefiting from these programs. Send us questions or make suggestions for program topics. You can email us at savinggrace at gsot.edu or follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. Thanks for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. <laughs>